This is the Territory Story Podcast with Peter and the Professor. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello there. Welcome. This is the Territory Story Podcast. And as you know, my name is Peter Gowers. I'd like to introduce now my co-host, the dame herself, Liz Hi, Spencer. Peter. <laughs> Hello there. How are you, Prof? I'm well, thank you. Good to good to see you, hear you, and um, yeah, looking forward to uh, to to tonight's episode. When these um, episodes, at one stage, when I can be bothered, make their way to YouTube, um, it will be wonderful for our listeners to also then become viewers and see the many backdrops that represent <laughs> Liz Spencer's personality. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, at today, I'm, at, my I'm at Middle Beach tonight, and it's so fabulous. Yeah, sunset, the palm trees, the breeze, and um, and did you know I was I was looking up news and and um, had a had a great listen to Territory Story podcast um, for the weekends with Walshy. Mm-hmm. But the big news, the big news, I have to say, this week is not territory news, and I'm oh. sorry about that. But the big news is from Queensland. Yeah. North Queensland, it's Yungala mating season. The platypus are out. Really? So I want you to, wow. I want everyone to know. And and also there's another story. Russell Crowe declares mm-hmm. we don't need a king ahead of the coronation. Well, uh, to be brutally honest, I'm surprised the calls haven't come sooner. Um, <laughs> I mean the the um the Republicans or the anti-monarchists have been very much quiet since we had our referendum all those years ago. But mm. I thought for sure they'd, they'd um, pop up again, and I thought now is the time. And to be brutally honest, Liz, I'm going to give you an exclusive here on this podcast. <laughs> I probably would now be on that side as well. I, I felt, despite having no interest or whatever in the Queen and that, um, I just felt it was part of our country, and to deny that, past seemed uh, inappropriate i'm not sure what the word is at that time mm. but i think the relevance now is is less and less and um yeah i'm really surprised actually that the republicans haven't been out and about i wonder whether that may be why they're not out and about because the relevance is so is so limited now um mm. but um, stan grant has not missed the opportunity he's got a new book out called The Last Queen, I think, or something to that effect. Hmm. Stan doesn't the miss many white opportunities queen. these days. Mm. <laughs> I gather not. Stan's a, a man about town when it comes to uh, having an opinion on things, which he's more than entitled to. Um, yeah, he wrote that book he said in eight weeks. I find it difficult to write a book in eight weeks, but good on him. When did he write it? Recently. Yeah, so Chat gpt has been out for more than eight weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Since November, yeah. I'm not accusing anybody of anything, allegedly. Um, but anyway, look, uh, let's introduce our guest because um, I think we've both been keen to uh, get this person on to have a chat to us. And um, a hard man to track down he has been for many, many reasons, but not least of which that um, he's extremely busy doing his uh, his duties. And uh, I'd like to introduce you and the Territory Story family to the Mayor of Alice Springs, our, our uh, version of NT royalty, uh, Matt Patterson. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. What an introduction. I think there'll be, few, there'll be uh, 
you know, probably not many people that agree with that, Peter, but I'll take that anyway. Oh, oh, we did have the Palmerston mayor on at one stage, and um, I wasn't. Uh, I asked her. I wasn't sure how I was meant to refer to her, whether it was Your Holiness or Your Honour or Your Worship, or I wasn't sure of the term. And I was just picturing, you know, the big sort of scepter and swords that the traditional uh, mayors carry around. So that, that's how I'm picturing you in all your in all your garb. Do, do you know what they call a group of mares? You know, if you've got a herd of cattle or a murder of crows, no. you know what? A, well, you know what signifies a mare? It's not actually their robe; it's the chain. That's the. That's right. the. You know. So it's a the, chain gang. It's a chain gang of mares. It is a chain gang of mares. <laughs> it's a, it is. It's well a <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, if I didn't mean to jump in there, but I got. I did you know that? Oh my god. I'm thinking, I'm picturing Cool Hand Luke. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. What we have here is a failure to communicate. <laughs> <laughs> the, can I just take a quick segue for a second? Because this has been um, troubling me for quite some time. Is it just an American thing, Liz, when we refer to something that's governatorial, they pronounce it gubernatorial? Gubernatorial. It's it's G U B E R. Gubernatorial. Yeah, Gubernatorial. I don't know. I have no idea why they did that. Yeah, it's just American, is it? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Okay. The, yeah. With the, who else? I don't. I don't know. I've, you don't I've, say I've, gubernatorial here. This is Matt's tea. This is Matt's night. Why are you asking yeah, I, me these I, questions? Well, seeing as we brought up the chain Ask gang, Matt. Of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is this gubernatorial thing? <laughs> he doesn't rub shoulders with governors because we have an uh, administrator in the NT. Mm, okay, well, it, um, we'll, we'll introduce anyway. him to some governors and we can get that sorted. Let's get back to the mayor. Now, Matt, um, as you would know, having listened to some Territory Story podcasts yourself, the very first question we like to ask all of our guests is to tell us your territory story. So we'll throw throw it over to you. God, I um, so I'm 32. I've lived in Alice Springs all by the first six months of my life. So mum was from here, went down to Adelaide. Um, I was born in Adelaide. She was quite young, so she went to be with her mum and dad when I was born. It was just her. Um, and then moved to Alice Springs, and I've been here ever since. Um, done all my schooling, done my trade, I've worked, and and now here I am. So, yeah, it's been a pretty unreal last few years, but it's all been a bit of a whirlwind, especially the last few months. Um, but I'm keeping my head above water. I won't show you what my legs are doing, but the head's above water. I'm just just floating over it. So you're one of these rare people who, although, as you said, the first six months you weren't, but you, you certainly your conscious life, because I don't think six-month-year-olds know too much about what's going on, you're basically born and bred Territorian, and more than that, Alice Springs. Yeah, can't, unfortunately, I can't quite say that I'm born and bred here, but yes, basically, I know nothing else, which is sometimes good, sometimes bad, but... Um, yeah, I've been pretty lucky in that sense of, you know, seeing what Alice Springs has to offer. And, and now I've met my wife in Alice Springs. We've got two lovely kids. So hopefully I'll be here for a few more years yet. Did you, when you say you met her, did you, I mean, I would think growing up in Alice Springs, you'd pretty much know everyone. And yes. 
So, so when, sorry, when, when did you meet? Well, she's not a local. Oh, okay. So um, I was, in my previous life, I was an electrician and um, I was driving out to Yundamu for a day trip and on the way back I actually flipped my car and spent um, a few weeks in hospital. It was pretty scary for a little while. Um, couldn't feel my legs for a couple of days. It was all a bit bit scary but I was in a neck brace when I got out and um, I was at the pub in my neck brace and that's the day we met it was it was love at first sight I'm not sure for who for her in my for her with me in my neck brace or me with her but so how long ago was this hmm. uh, maybe last year 12 years oh well no 12, 12 years ago when I met her Wow, and and you stood out, so she picked you. That's that's what I. He tell was her. in his neck brace. You can't resist a yeah. man in a neck brace. There's always a story behind it. It's a great conversation starter, though, going to the pub in a neck brace. Yeah, I bet. So, tell us about um, growing up in Alice Springs. Um. Yeah, it was. It was great. So, sports what kept is what kept me entertained. Um, so I was always playing sport just about every day. And I wouldn't have had that opportunity if we were in the city because it's not five minutes from everywhere else or within walking distance. So that's what, you know, I was a bit of a rat bag of a kid, um, but, you know, sports what kept me out of trouble. So if I wasn't playing cricket, it was footy or tennis um, or boxing. Yeah, it was, it was great and great people here. And I think that's the... The thing that makes Alice Springs fantastic if we've got all these social problems, but still people who used to live here have left, they're coming back because they miss the community spirit of what Alice Springs is and that's something that um, I've always enjoyed about it. You can go anywhere and you can guarantee that you'll know somebody and you don't get that in the city. Well, here's another way of putting a politician on the spot. What's your favourite sport now? Well, it's golf, and the reason is there's all there's a few reasons. Liz, um, a few years ago, I've bought a house right on the golf course in Alice. Ooh. Pretty lucky, and um, it's one of the few sports that you can actually play by yourself. There's lots of individual sports, but it's one of the only few sports that you can play by yourself. Swimming's one, cycling, running, and golf. Like there's not a whole lot of them. Um, and so I can just go out if I've got a you know an hour window in my day I can have play a couple of holes and be back but I find it very soothing for my you mm. know busy life. Um, nice. But yeah, it'd be golf, and I'm Thank not you. very good at it. Let me premise it by saying I'm not very good at it, so I don't know why I enjoy it so much. A good walk spoils. <laughs> That's yeah. what they tell me. She's <laughs> we're quoting all sorts tonight, aren't we? Sorry. Okay, I'll stop. No, that's okay. Really early in the day, so there's plenty of time left. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Don't go too hard too soon, Liz. Okay. The good, the good thing with golf too is um, that you can start out playing on your own, but it's also one of those games where you can just, uh, you know, pick up with another group of or individual or two or three and join up and. It's it's not one of those things where it even seems remotely weird that you're just joining another group of people on a golf course. Yeah, I, that's one of the parts I like. So often I play with my mates one week, and then um, on another week I can see that there's some 
people travelling from interstate, and I actually like playing with them sometimes too because um, I don't get questions about what I do. They've got no idea, so I can just tell them anything, you know. Yeah. Um, don't have to talk shop at, at sport. It's it's great. What, Absolutely. What, what does a mayor do? Peter, can we get to this this quickly, or is it? Can, am I going to to? Well, if we, don't, if we don't cover the school side of things, we're not going to know what makes Matt Matt. Okay, all right. We'll wait. We'll wait then. <laughs> but we certainly will get to it, Liz. Thank you. And and we're not known for our eight-minute podcast either. So <laughs> <That's yeah. right. laughs> we could we could change it up tonight. We could do yeah, the eight now. We can. Don't worry, Liz. I've cleared my calendar. Okay, thanks. Yep. He's got till uh, next week to do this. Um, so, look, let's just quickly uh, get into that. Where, where did you go to school in Alice? So early on, we used to I used to bounce around. It just sort of just depended on where we were living. Just bouncing between public housing was just there and there. Um, in year four, I went to Olsh, um, which is a Catholic school here. So there's three campuses in Alice Springs, Bath Street, Traeger and Saturday. Um, and so... I was there until year 11 in, in Olsh. Uh, I got expelled from Olsh in year 11, um, which looking back was a very good thing probably for me and my friends. And then I went to what's now called CSC, which was CDU then in Alice Springs, and uh, I finished school in yeah, 2008. So it was, it was very good because it was just a different environment and I probably suited that. Um, environment a little bit more. So it was one of the best things that happened to me was getting asked not to come back. Um, mm. And don't worry, it was this. I wore a nun's costume on casual day, which is the reason. <laughs> but it would be fair to say that it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, and then, yeah, that was my that was the majority of my schooling career. After year eleven, um, when I was expelled, I was sort of at this time where, you know, I was 16 going, I hate school, I don't really want to do this, I'm clearly not going to go to university. But I was playing in a, I was playing rugby league um, for the Northern Territory team at the time and we were going away for a schoolboys trip. But I had to be in school at that time to be able to play. Mm. And uh, that was the only reason I went back and finished year 12. And that competition was in June. So, you know, I did the first six months of school, or four months basically, started in Feb, and got to June and then I was like, well, exams are in a couple of weeks, um, so I might as well finish it. And with PE in year 12, uh, the exam fell on Melbourne Cup Day and I was an avid horse racing fan, so my teacher changed my exam, so I did a a different theory test to pass. So wow. I was well supported within those yeah. confines. This might be a dumb question, but was CSC in Alice the same as CSC in Darwin? Is it is Casuarina Senior College part of the same group or different? Centralian Secondary School. So yeah. Yeah. it's at the CDU um, site oh. here, which it was CDU when I went, just did you okay. Okay, so it was a dumb question. No such thing. Okay, good, good. So you you passed year 12 or you left after that? Got my tick, believe it or not, yeah. Oh, well done. And then based on um, 
what I've read and what you said before, at some point you then must have done a uh, traineeship to be an electrician or apprenticeship. Yeah, and I, yeah. so once year 12 finished, um, my dad had a business here, so I went and worked for him for a little while. Um, and I, you know, did, I had lots of little jobs, which was good. Um, and then my rugby coach, funnily enough, said he owned an, electrician, a, a, an electrical business here. And he said, oh, um, you're starting work on Monday as an apprentice. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't know if I really want to do it. He's like, yeah, I'll pick you up on Monday. Um, so that was it and did my apprenticeship and um, off we went. I stayed as a sparky until I was elected onto council in 2017. Um, it was the same time my daughter was born and we it's, it was a very busy time. So where I was working for at that time, we had the contracts for the Telstra Towers in Central Australia um, and we would get a call that said, you've got to pack up and go to this Telstra Tower, which could be, you know, 12 hours away. Um, juggling that with council, juggling that with a newborn, it was all too much. So after that, I went to the dark side and worked for NTG until mm. this job. Two questions that come out of that. One, uh, what position did you play in rugby league? Uh, when I was playing rep footy, I was playing front row and, and back row and then playing in Alice Springs, I sort of played everywhere because you sort of have to do that in country footy. As required. Yep, fair mm. enough. And second question, um, why do we at least a couple of times a year have uh, major Telstra outages because people dig through the cables? <laughs> Makes you twitch, doesn't it? Oh, it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not that dull before you dig, and if you do, sometimes you do dull, and they're not where they say they are. Yeah, it just it staggers me that it's always yes, um, Darwin's got no Telstra today because someone again uh, dug through the fibre, whatever they're called, cables. It's like how many times can you dig through those cables before we realise that they're under there? Yeah, it does make you wonder, mm. but. I don't reckon there'd be a worse feeling digging through one. I wouldn't have thought. I, I, I can't imagine there would. No. And you no, just see that little blue cable come up. Yep. Oh, no. You'd be wanting to go into that hole, wouldn't you? <laughs> At least it's half dug already, yeah. <laughs> All so, right. So, so, Matt, do you miss that work at all? 100% not. All right. Absolutely no. And I, you know, in Alice Springs in summertime, it is horrendously hot. And I look back and go, how did I do it? It's because you start at 6 o'clock and you work through it, it slowly builds up. Mm. And I think you can, it's, you, you can deal with it. But I just know if you walk outside at lunchtime, you're like, whoa, it is yeah. gross and 45 degrees and just blows my mind that, you know, I used to do that. Well, what was the worst part of it, being in someone's roof or like, what, what hit you the most? Yeah, that's that's bad being, you know, I'm not a small guy um, and I'm very unflexible. Hot, <laughs> and he's dusty. And he's wearing these mayor's robes the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd be hot and warm. dusty and then, and then you'd be itchy because of the insulation. It was just... Yeah. 
Yeah, and then, you know, could also go, we'd go long stints out bush and you're digging holes and, you mm. know, if you're prefabbing for houses or big projects, that's yeah. pretty rough too. Were but there Matt, any good parts? Say that again, sorry. Any, any good parts? Payday. <laughs> Fair call. Sorry, Liz. Just just thinking that it's hot in a mayor's robes. Mm. Do you have to wear those all year round? Or, or do you have some sort of flowy spring, summer outfit you get to wear? Well, my robe is not the original robe. So two mayors before me, Fran Kilgariff, she commissioned a new robe. Um, and definitely check it out. It's, it is a nice robe. I think it's probably time that this one's um, retired. But it's... It's certainly not as heavy as the original one. Um, it is. It's a nice filming nice. sort of negligee robe. Oh, I shouldn't say that, should I? Well, but it, it's look, it's very, it's very flowy and it's beautiful colours and it's got a nice painting on there. But it's very hot on Australia Day because it's you know quite mm-hmm. hot here. Um, but fun fact, it's actually never been washed because the robe is hand painted. It's never been washed. Oh wow. So yeah. how many times a year do you wear it? So civic duties. Um, so the four citizenship ceremonies. So they're throughout the year. Anzac Day, Bangtail Muster. Um, I reckon that's about it. If there's any civic duties, civic responsibilities, I'll have to pull around. Yeah, right. Wow. All right, so let's get to that. Um, what made you decide? Uh, we, we know that you... It wasn't a love of um, uh, the electrical world that that was going to keep you there, but why the council? What what made you decide to then say, oh, I'm going to give that a go? Ah, yeah, I've been asked this question so many times and I just, I don't know. I think, well, so I was always like the captain of the footy team or the captain of the cricket team. Mm. I was always, you know, a leader and people always would come to me for advice and I would issue good and bad, whether they listened or not was another thing. But um, what happened is the elections were always the same year as a territory election. And so in 2016, there was meant to be a council election in March. And so Adam Giles changed it. Um, I think it was Adam Giles. It's definitely that government changed it from then, 20, March 2016, and pushed it back to the cycle of, August 2017. So that council actually had to do an extra 18 months on top of their council. So if the election was in 2016, I can tell you right now, it would have been 24, I wouldn't have been running. Um, So I was quite lucky. And then it just got to a point where I was like, well, this has come up. And it wasn't necessarily through, you know, a lot of people say they took the swing out in my park and that's why I run. That I was just thinking that they needed, Alice Springs needed someone young. I was 26 at the time. We had Q&A in Alice Springs, the TV program, and um, I submitted a question and it was around the time of the nominations and people starting to talk about council. And I asked the question about to Qantas about the airfares and um, I got a, you know, standing ovation, round of applause, and someone walking out said, you have to run for council. And I thought, oh, yeah, maybe. 
And um, it sort of just went on from there and my friend just nominated me and that was it really. Wow. And so you got on the first time you ran? Ah, uh, yeah, no, I was on. That was fine. And um, wow. so the people, so I finished fifth of eight. Um, so we've got eight elected members, eight councillors, one mayor. The three people that beat me were existing councillors and a mayoral candidate that wasn't successful for mayor. And then out of all the newbies, I was on top, like I finished above. So I was pretty, pretty happy with where I ended up. Yeah. And do you think that was because of, um, you know, your sporting notoriety in the town? Yeah, I think being long-term local helps. But I think that there is, at the time, and there still is, um, a need and a want from the community to see younger people on councils and within governments. I think councils have a different view because, you know, the majority of us are independents, is that they can hold their view. And, um, you know, I was, I was certainly known as a bit of a larrikin. Like, that's not that wasn't a surprise to anyone. But um, there was community members that I've spoken to have said, yeah, didn't agree with everything that you were campaigning on, but we certainly supported the fact that you were young and we need more young people in politics. So in 2017, as a 26-year-old, you ran for council and at that point, what what did you believe that Alice Springs needed or what were you hoping to bring that, that uh, obviously the age thing you mentioned, but, uh, you know, what other things were you hoping to bring that, that the town or the, the region needed? Yeah, so my big piece since day one has been amenities, like trying to build amenities for communities. And I'll, I can touch on that a bit later about why I run for mayor, it's still the same, but it is just other ways for looking at things and just trying to break the norm. That's why I wanted to run. So, um, you know, some of the things that I run on weren't achievable going through financially, and that's okay. I can say I tried. Um, but I'll certainly look at other ways to do them. One of them is look at vacant shop fronts and try to work with youth entrepreneurs to try to – so you can have this space for X amount of weeks um, free and we'll try to work with the business owner to assist with rates if they give up their space. That was sort of – one of my platforms, um, that I'm, you know, I still think it's possible to do that. Um, you know, it's investigating other ways to do our recycling here as well. So we've only got one bin um, and I've done, you know, a lot of research around it now. We've got to find other ways to be able to recycle. But in saying that, we could put three bins out the front We've got to put them in a truck and send them down. Are we are we actually better off for the environment? Are we creating a longevity for our regional waste facility? I mean, they're the sort of things that I was pushing on as well. Um, yeah, and then got elected, and then things sort of went crazy. I was during had COVID as well, first term, so it was all a bit full on. Hmm. What um, what were some of the things that? When you first got on, uh, you know, not obviously having been on the council before, what things were you pleasantly surprised by? Uh, 
well, it was good and bad. I mean, you can't go for a coffee without getting bugged too too often. I think that's you know there is that sense of people still instantly like that. You've got a title. People give you their opinion. You know, mm-hmm. they don't they don't care if you're having a romantic dinner with your wife or your kids or. But in saying that, I I do feel I felt pleasantly surprised that people would come up and speak to me. Because I think that's a really important civic duty that you you share. You know, we've got nine elected members, so you're one of nine. If, if someone comes up and shares a concern or says, well done, or do this better, I, I think that's important. Uh, democratic, you know, I think that's a democratic society that makes Australia a great place. And what was the biggest wake-up call that you've had? For council, I mean, just... How not quickly things move, Liz. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. every level of government, you know. Send a letter or go, yeah, we'll expect a reply and you get it, you know, in three months. It's um, can't you, it still blows my mind sometimes. Mm. Yeah. I guess the public feels the same way with that sort of stuff too, don't they? Yeah, and I reckon if the public service was halved, it would probably things would get done a whole lot quicker, but that's a debate for another day. It's a it's a very um, treacherous conversation if you want to get into it, Matt. I'm constantly talking about the uh, the bloated Northern Territory public service, but... Um, Not just Northern Territory. I think that there's public services general, all across. I think there's workforces all across the country that sometimes if you cut the, the fat off the top, things start working a bit more smoothly. Yeah, you know, it's the, the, the fellow who wrote Debt, David Graeber, wrote a book, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, called Bullshit Jobs. Um, definitely <laughs> worth a read. Yeah. I'm, I'm not familiar with the book, but I'm familiar with those jobs. I do yeah. a job of the week every week. <laughs> <laughs> so you presumably did uh, one term as a councillor and then you thought, you know what, I can take on the top job now. And uh, you did, and you you won it in a landslide. <laughs> well, I actually didn't think I wanted to do the top job, um, and I was walking, playing golf with, spoiling a good walk, playing golf, and I can remember it, walking down the 14th hole, and my mate said to me, I think you've got to run for mayor. I was like, there is no way that I'm running for mayor. He said, I really think you've got to do it. You've got to run for mayor. I was like, oh, I'm not sure about this. Anyway, I got home and said to my wife, I think I'm going to do it. She was not impressed. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if she still is impressed. But, <laughs> um, yeah, and then obviously campaigned uh, very late in the piece and, yeah, as you said, mate, one in a landslide, two votes. <laughs> what convinced you? You, you said, no, I'm not going to do it. And then you went home and you said, I, I think I'm doing it. So what what, what changed? Uh, I didn't want to live with the regret of not running, to be quite honest. I'd rather run and lost than woke up uh, the day after nomination shut and, uh, and just gone, God, I regret this now. So... Mm. Um, it was 
you know, once I was in, though, I was very invested in in that I was doing the right thing. I believed I was doing the right thing. And, um, yeah, I worked pretty hard during the campaign and, you know, obviously just snuck over the line. And were there things that had um, uh, escalated during that first term where you thought there's a lot more work that needs to be done in certain areas? Um, you know, were things improving? Were they getting worse or was it much the same? Well, one of the things I really pushed for during COVID was um, what Darwin's Darwin ended up launching called My Darwin, and we ended up getting it called My Alice. Um, I, you know, it wasn't the exact same model, I'll say that, but I'd put up something forward to council and said, you, you know, let's have a look at giving vouchers to our ratepayers. I mean, giving back to the community, I think it's a really good model. Um, and I didn't get supported by anyone, not even a seconder to debate the motion. And so I did think, oh, I could do this job. Um, but there was unfinished business. I've been talking since 2017, November 2017, about a skate park in Alice Springs. Not just as we call it a regional skate park, but it has all the amenities, right? Skate park, um, pump track for, for all ages, basketball courts, gym equipment. We don't have an updated model of that. And I took it to the public in 2017 and um, for a, a, a site analysis and it was knocked back. And, and then during, you know, two months out of the election, people are saying, we need a skate park. I thought, <laughs> if you guys had to listen to me three years ago, four years ago, you would have had one already by now. So um, mm-hmm. that was something that I'm, I am, you know, I want more things for families to do in Alice, right? So my belief is we, as a council, we can't fix crime. We can't click our fingers and make crime go away, but we can build things for families that are here to give them nice things. You know, it's almost like a this is what other places have and this is what you deserve and um, that's something that I'm passionate about, but in saying that it's something that the my colleagues are also pretty passionate about. Matt, what do you see now that needs to happen like the, the, the way you saw the need for a skate park before other people saw it? Well, what's your vision now that you have that maybe not everyone shares yet? Uh, well, that's a good question, isn't it? Um, I, I really think that we put the social side, you know, the social challenges to one side, but it is that amenity piece, like it is just about, um, you know, this broken window theory that we is taken over Alice Springs, right? So What's the broken with, window theory, yeah? Oh, yeah, oh it's, uh, it's a New York it's theory. Where, it's just wear and tear, isn't it? Well, it's when, you know, things slowly take over and uh, the criminals sort of take over a block and um, one broke a window, it's not replaced, then the, then it looks mm. run down and then they start to think that they've got ownership of it. And uh, and that's what we've got in, in Todd Mall, for example. I mean, once upon a time there was you know, not a roller shutter down there and we've seen the flow on from empty buildings. Um, now you won't find a window that doesn't have a roller door and if it doesn't have a roller door, it's got cardboard all over it. So... There's a lot. So, sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. I, 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 
I was just going to say there's lots of, you know, little things that are, you know, we don't. it doesn't have to be this one big thing that's going to click our fingers and fix it because that would have been done already. It's a lot so, of other little things that we can do to make change. So you're talking, you're saying get away from the deficit model, get to a, a focus on on the positive. How can we have, you know, how, how can we do positive things? Yeah? Yeah, 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 absolutely. But it's also about, if we're not doing the positive things and I'm not building amenities for community, then it actually becomes normal to seven and eight-year-old kids that this is what it looks like. And, I mean, you go away on holidays or my friends go away on holidays, they get back, the first thing they ring and tell me is how good the parks are everywhere else. Mm. And that's we're spending all our money talking about things that aren't necessarily in our train track. Yes, they're important and we need to discuss them. We have to talk about them so they are fixed. But we also need to get our house in order and do things council should be doing about, you know, giving amenity and increasing livability for our residents. And I think places, even, you know, basketball courts or parks or all of those sort of things, those little things add up quite quickly. And Alice never had those, Matt, or just had them and they got run down over the years? Yeah, we've not had – I mean, we've got a skate park. It's certainly not of substantial size. Um, and so it, I think you look at our parks as well. We've got some parks here, but they're certainly not in – you know, you, you don't look at them and go, God, I want to take my kids there, right? You, there's an analogy to this um, in psychology. In the in, There's a fellow by the name of Marty Seligman. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. He's, he's a – he was head of the American Psychology Association, and he's the founder of the positive psychology movement. I mean, he's not the first, obviously, but he did that in the States, and he wrote a bunch of books, and he built on the work of Cheeks and Mihi, who wrote Flow. And he said, when I started being head of president of the American Psychology Association, I decided I was going to get away from the negative, away from the pathology, away from what's wrong, and just focus on positive psychology and how to make people healthy. And and he brought together the head of the American Psychiatrist Association, Philosophy Association, everybody. And he brought them together and he said, how do we do this? And he made it his thing. And it sort of sounds like you're making doing positive things your thing for Alice, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah and I mean, <clears throat> I mean, I can say whatever I want, right? And I can take whatever I want to the chamber, but it's still majority rule system. Um and so it's not just me, it is the council's vision as well. But, you know, we've just done a, a gym at the Aquatic Centre. We're doing a, a $1.1 million adventure park there, the skate park, and then some other upgrades. I just think, as I said, those small little things to give some normality to people's lives with what's going on. I think I want mm. to come and live in Alice. Peter, don't you? You know, more than welcome. More rate pays, the better. Build, build a house as well. Plenty of land for sale. There is lots of land around, isn't there? I yeah, noticed. Sure. I actually looked and I at what I could get in Alice if I wanted to move there. And I, and I, I mm. honestly felt like the houses were pretty expensive. And then the RBA raised interest rates today, so that's not so good. But, um, but <laughs> no. yeah. What, so what's what's happening with that? Can I? Is it is it affordable? Can I? Can we buy? Can we? Can can Peter move his family there and afford something? Not in the golf course. That's where the elite live. 
<laughs> Certainly not that. I got it. You know, it's all about timing. But there is some land that is being released south of the gut, which is where all our growth's going to be, and that's you know destined for you know big things. I mean, it'd be like it's sort of a bit like when Palmerston built. Who's going out there? It's too far away, but it'll mm. be the same scenario. Yep, they were giving the blocks away for ten and fifteen thousand dollars at that stage. Been nice now, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. I actually looked at. Um, I looked at when Karama was initially developed and it was the same. They Those blocks, I think, were about $20,000 each. If you, you know, because again, people thought, oh, it's on the wrong side of the airport. So that's out, you know, in whoop whoop. But now, of course, that's sort of in the middle of the greater Darwin area and you won't be getting blocks of land for 20 grand in Karama these days. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, no, no. It's definitely affordable. I mean, it is expensive, but on Peter's wage, anything's affordable. <laughs> so, Matt, did you have a court case after the mayoral elections last time? Yeah, yeah. So, um, one by seventeen on the the first count, one by seventeen, which was super close, right? And then there was a recount, and um, any recount under a hundred automatic, and then mm. one by two. And then the candidate that um, had lost wasn't, you know, or still wasn't satisfied, so we ended up going to NTCAT. Um, yeah, right. And they, you know, he wanted a whole new election, which clearly wasn't going to be the case. And um, mm. the, the result handed down, I mean, at that time, I, I don't believe, and this is a complete personal view, that, like I didn't want to run for both mayor and a councillor. Hmm. And I just think there's a view sometimes if you do finish second or third, you can be viewed as the leader of the opposition. Yeah, um, right. And I will say I've got six councillors on council who run for mayor and it's certainly not like that. But I've, I've seen it happen before. I didn't want to be a part of that. I was either all in or not at all. Hmm. Um, and then he... He served for nine months and then and and then unfortunately resigned. So okay. it's one of those one of those things. But different things in life come up. But yeah, it was a you know it was a whirlwind of, of a time. Right, getting elected mm. as mayor, um, then recount and going through the emotions and you know your scrutineers are saying it's so close and um and then court. It was just time in my life that I'll never get back. But it was. Character building. Yeah. Any dead voters in that 17? <laughs> no, I'm sure not. <laughs> um, all right. So you, after all of that, and I can only imagine it just would have been a daily um, head spin just trying to deal with it all. But in the end, you came out with the official mayoral robes and, and all the trimmings that go with it. And where was Alice at that stage in terms of uh, the social unrest that, that we now know about? Yeah, it was it was still tough, right? It was still it's been it's been tough for a few years. Before I tell you that, I tell you a very funny story before I mm. tell you social unrest. So I was begging my wife for a kegerator, right? To do homebrew beer. <laughs> and I said, if I win the mayor, I've got to give a couple of weeks' notice. So I'll be bouncing between and annual leave and stuff. So Maybe we can make that work. And then she just gave in and said, if you win there and you stay there while she give notice, you can do. 
um, you can have your kegerator. And then, of course, it was so close, then there was a recap, then there was a court. I couldn't quit my job because if the court case got overturned, I effectively would have been unemployed, right? Mm. So out of all of that, I had to stay very, very part-time for about six weeks doing the handover, expecting that the court case wasn't going to be turned over. And uh, got my shiny little kegerator, which is good. <laughs> but, um, nice. Look, the social – oh, sorry, Liz, I couldn't hear you there. Liz, Liz loves being on uh, with her mic off as much as she can. It's like to, yeah. she's she's practicing some Marcel Marcel. <laughs> You're singing, Liz. I want to know more about the kegerator. Can you describe this thing? What Sounds is this? very fancy. <laughs> <behind> <laughs> <the room. laughs> yeah. It is a, just a very flash beer fridge um, that I have four kegs inside. I've got one filled up spare, so if one runs out, uh, I've got one ready to go, and it's just three tucks that come out. So. I just brew my beer, leave it for seven days. There is this is not like a hops and all these bits and bobs that go in there. This is as basic as you could possibly imagine. Syrup in, sugar, hot water, dissolve the sugar, fill it up with cold water. When the temperature drops below 30 degrees, put the yeast in, put the lid on. I'll see you in seven days. Seven days. Yeah. And what what's your brew what, what's your brew most like that we would know? Uh, it's close to Great Northern. It's not perfect, oh, yeah. but it's it's very close. And um, maybe a super dry. Okay. And then the ginger beer is phenomenal. Oh wow! Is that alcoholic ginger beer? Yeah, I've peeled it back a little bit. It was very alcoholic when I started. But <laughs> 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 no, no. <laughs> Because it's, I saw that at the footy the other day. I was like, oh, everyone's drinking ginger beers. And then I realized it was actually yeah, it's some sort of alcoholic ginger beer they're drinking. Yeah, I got my grandpa by mistake. He hadn't had a beer for about 12 years. And I told him I had a ginger beer. And he said, yeah, yeah. And I was like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, I love a ginger beer. Mm. And then he drank about half the schooner. And I said, like, I couldn't work it out. I was so confused. And you know, I told him that it was alcoholic and he's like, oh, well, halfway done my schooner, I better finish it off anyway. So I think sometimes it, those done. ginger beers can be even more alcoholic than regular beer, can't they? They can be pretty, they can be pretty potent. Yeah, I, so. I just make mine very, you know, not light beer, not heavy beer, somewhere in the middle there. So this is take a whole room in your house, all this brewing. Yeah, pretty much. No, yeah, my wife would say yes, but I think it's, you know, it's messy in a corner. It's kept in check though, is it, Matt? Yeah, yeah, I've, got, I've just got this system going now. It's, it's great. And, and why do you do it yourself? Is it, is it a money saver or you just like, like it's fresh or? He's got a kegerator. He's got to use it. <laughs> That's right. Well, I actually... <laughs> You know, I'm digressing away from the social problems. We will get there, Peter. There what you, happened, you are the social problem. <laughs> what happened is, is I'd done a spreadsheet and said, you know, this is how much I drink now and this is how much the keg rate costs and this is how much it costs me to brew beer and work it out to say by X date, if I keep drinking the same, I've effectively paid off the keg rate and then, and then I'm effectively getting paid to drink and um, – and 
if I drink quicker in those months, it pays off the kegerator quicker, right? So <laughs> science, please. So cons- consumption naturally took an uptick around about the time the kegerator yeah, was born. Yeah, you're, you're a persuasive you man. In. No wonder you won the mayoral election. And then you put that in with the liquor restrictions that we're facing now. Some would say I was quite visionary. That's mm. true, yeah. Yep. Mm. Ahead of your time with the skate park and with the uh, homebrew. There well, you go. Well, well, why are they breaking into the bakery? People would probably want to be hitting your house. No, no. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> He's probably got, um, <laughs> probably got some extra security, which I would too, if I had the kegerator there. Easy access. Okay. Mm. All right. So let's um, let's park that. Liz might get a bit out of control Thank if you. we keep going down that path. Um, yeah, so tell us. So when was that um, that mayoral election? Because if the if the thing was out of sync at 2017, did you go again at 2020 or did you do a different date? No, no, 2021. So it'll be a year after uh, the NT election every year, basically. Oh, forever? Um, yeah, forever until they change it. Right. Um, so last Saturday in August 2021, um, you know, got pretty full on. Then it was basically summer. Now we're known for notoriously bad summers. Um, that's when our crime spikes. My mm. first my first uh, summer as mayor was no different, 21 slash 22. Um, you know, everything's about timing, but um, there was also a federal election happening, um, you know, pretty soon after. And so that was quite beneficial. Now, we had said we have all these challenges um, X, Y, Z, we, 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 as a council, you know, declared it a crisis, the level of crime and wrote a letter to the Prime Minister and he actually come to Alice Springs twice during the election. Um, so that was some, you know, that was probably the start of putting it out there in the last few years, whilst I've been there, certainly been out there before, but whilst I've been there, um, yeah, and it's sort of just gone from bad to worse, to be completely honest. Why are things worse in the summer? Uh, well, we have, you know, hot days and hot nights, basically. I think everyone would be going to ground and, you know, it's sort of hiding of mango madness, is it? Um. But in winter time, I mean, now this is the worst, probably one of the worst winters we've had time-wise so far. But it's freezing cold in winter time, like it's mm. you know minus two and three degrees here. So things do go down. It's too cold to go outside. Um, but in summertime, it's you know free rain all day every day, and that mm. that is why, right? Okay, so thanks. Um, and people also, it's not. I mean, you can try it too. Like you look at a remote community. Um, people travelling in from remote communities, very hot in a remote community, come into town to get a breather and um, mm. displaced, and that's this is what seems to happen. Mm. So, was there a point where, or that you can think of, where it, you know it went from just being a normal everyday run of the mill thing to suddenly? it escalated and then just took off from there? No, I just think we, we – I reckon as a society in Alice we've become desensitised to a lot of what we see because we see it every day. Now, 
that's sad to say, but it's I think it really is the reality, right? You're taught if there's a DV happening between, you know, certain people to drive off, well, you'd n- not see that in Sydney or Melbourne or Perth or somewhere, you know, people would mm. pull over and break it up, but it's just what happens. And we are becoming desensitised to what we're seeing. Um, but I'm not sure about one particular instance. I mean, July last year we had the Stronger Futures lapse and we certainly opened the the floodgates of grog at that mm. point and that was probably the time, to be honest, Peter, where things were bad and they got really bad overnight. Matt, can you explain that to me in more detail? I completely understand that if uh, remote communities uh, had grog bans imposed and those lapsed, I can see that correlation. But I'm just trying to understand why if remote communities grog bans lapsed, why that impacted Alice so much and and what seems uh, to be so excessively? Well, it wasn't just the remote communities. It was also the 17 town camps that we've got here. Okay. So we had, we've got police on bottle shops, and if you lived in a town camp, uh, you were quizzed by the police officer. Well, everyone, sorry, let me rephrase that. Everyone was quizzed by a police officer, but if you're in a restricted area um, or if you were placed on the banned drinkers register, you couldn't purchase alcohol. And so all of a sudden there's 3,000 or 5,000 people effectively from town camps and surrounds that had access to alcohol um, when there wasn't a whole lot of education to go around that before. Now, remembering they only had 15 years to implement some education around it um, that they didn't, and it was almost like, oh, here's the day. Instead of extending it for a little while longer to do the education, it wasn't happened. And I don't necessarily – I'm not blaming either side of government for this. Sure, sure. it's a mistake, and we got to, we wore the brunt of that. Okay, so and presumably the five thousand people from the town camps that are now able to access alcohol who couldn't prior to that—that's being policed, uh, literally and metaphorically, by people at bottle shops asking them where they live. Yeah, so two parts. One is you show your licence when you um, walk in, say, here you go, and then you scan your licence as well. Um, And so, and that shows that, you know, you get a green or red flag when you scan it and say, yes, you need, um, yes, you're not on the banned drinkers register, you've not been arrested for domestic violence or drunken assault or anything like that. Okay, so domestic violence is something that I really want to talk about because obviously the statistics in the Northern Territory are through the roof by comparison with other states and the other territory. Do you know, do you have any education or understanding as to why alcohol in the Northern Territory equals domestic violence escalating at an amount that's just unfathomable? No, I think that's the million-dollar question, Peter. I think if you could answer that, you'd probably you'll get a statue, I'd reckon. But um, 
yeah, it's huge rates of DV and it's completely unacceptable. Okay, so we agree that um, it's not something that's going to get sorted out anytime soon. But can you think or do you have any knowledge as to why the NT government decided to let those bans lapse and then seemingly play politics with actually then bringing them back in, albeit in a different format? I think it was it was this crossover between the election <clears throat> between the federal election. And we know for a long time Alice Springs or NT has been used as a political football. Um, I mean, the line that was getting thrown out there that it was a racist policy because it was discriminatory to one group of people. But the reality is, and the stats say that in those areas, alcohol spiked. When alcohol went up, crime went up, DV went up. And I think that was the decision because, I mean, it's a a Labor government that is – going against the bush, which not naturally, that doesn't usually naturally happen. Mm. Um, but, you know, we did have comments of people saying that it was racist X, Y, Z, um, and that's the only thing that I can really think of. Now, the point being that, and I completely agree with that government was saying at the time, is everyone has the right to be able to drink in their house. Everyone deserves a beer. But unfortunately, when the minorities start wrecking it, then people start losing out on uh, everything else, right? Mm. People have lost all, lots of rights, and unfortunately, this is one of them that's collateral. Now, it's, it's, it's such a challenging topic to discuss with people outside of the territory when they just can't believe that what's happened has happened. But overnight... Once it opened, right, you've seen the difference of the, the public drunkenness, the DVs, the break-ins, all of these sort of things. Now, I'll, you know, if that didn't happen, if those restrictions never lapsed and they were extended, well, the irony is we probably, the whole community, wouldn't have Monday, Tuesday restrictions right now. I wouldn't, I yeah. wouldn't think that would be the case. Because it got so bad and people were just so fed up we needed change, now all of a sudden it's it's been of absolute flow. So you think it absolutely impacted that it was allowed to lapse? 100%. Absolutely 100%. It was bad before. Like crime yeah. was bad before. Um, and I think that's really important to pick up. It didn't just happen like that. It was mm. already bad, but it went... Um, you know, and you can track that. You can trace. You know, the numbers in July were just going. July to December just went boom. Um, mm. So I mean, I'm not a scientist, but you can, <laughs> it's not a coincidence. We had it with, without fifteen years through stronger futures, and then yeah. overnight we turned it back on. But it's, it's so easy to understand why no one wants to touch it. I mean, to say, well, we're going to impose these rules on people with without adequate consultation, and there never is adequate consultation. It's so difficult. I mean, politically, how do you how do you achieve consensus with so many out, you know, far-flung remote communities? 
or how yeah. do you come up with something that's that, that's tailored to each one that meets each meets meets the diverse needs of each one yeah yeah i, I completely agree and i think the model and i don't know if it will work or not but the model they've put forward now um sort of addresses that concern right where 60% of the community or that town can't need to vote or voting age need to support the change. Um, and so in remote communities, that will make a difference if that's what they want and it'll have to go through a liquor commission and X, Y, Z. But in a town can, I mean, you've got some town cans that are across the road from each other, right? What happens if this one says yes and this one says no? What happens for the dynamics yeah. there? So. Um, it's not it's it, not as easy as cut and paste for all of them. But don't forget, Liz, these these people are politicians, right? Which people? The people that are making the decisions. Sometimes they need to make unpopular decisions. It's not all cutting ribbons, unfortunately, and going to you know to eat cake. But I just think if you want to be in. And you want to be an elected member? Well, you've got to be all in, or just get out the way. But but then, if you're not indigenous, then you're going to be racist and paternalistic. No, and heavy-handed. You, you can't put belligerent drunks' values over women and children who are affected the most. It's still about being a human being first. You might you might still do that if you say it's sixty percent, whoever you know, sixty percent of the vote. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. You, you you could well and truly do that. I actually think that's something that's quite concerning because, you know, if you're talking about people who have genuine problems, uh, that's medical, or turns into being medical anyway, and 60% of the vote with people who have those problems then can change the course of a lot of lives as a result. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen when the Monday, Tuesday restrictions went in, you know, people breaking in for alcohol and also around the time where Stronger Futures was on and then it lapsed, people mm. breaking in, stealing alcohol. Yeah. And so it was, um, yeah, certainly a balance. So the Monday and Tuesday is still on now? Yeah, so Monday, Tuesday is still in and... Um, we only have drive-through bottle shops open on a Sunday, and then the hours have only changed. Only on a Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Get it on the way home from church. You know, <laughs> that's, that's more of a drive-by than drive-through. A <laughs> <laughs> drive-by. That's they should change their name. That's a good call. <laughs> hey, Matt, do you think there was any um, consequences as a result of uh, all of those people being locked up? in remote communities during that COVID period and all of the Centrelink benefits, or a lot of them, being doubled over that time. Do you think when the they were finally released, if you want to call it like that, from the lockdowns of their communities with all that money in their pockets, do you think that's fueled this issue even more? Yeah, I read an interesting article saying that this certainly uh, has added fuel to the fire. I haven't given it much thought, to be completely honest, but it goes back to all of these policy, small policy changes, right, that have just inflamed it. And 
Look, I'm probably not across it enough to be able to give you a definitive yes or no answer. Um, but it's, yeah, it's been a challenging time and, and that's why I think we've got to be so careful when we make all these decisions mm. for, you know, the rest of the country, what impacts it has here because we keep getting told that we are the most um, disadvantaged and and the ramifications that happen will... We just need to remember where we are on the map and people just need to come to Alice Springs to understand the policy, well, the policy shift from the policy change. Mm. Do you think (laughs) that the um, measures, thanks, that are used to control, influence the use and misuse of alcohol um, should be... I mean, how can it should be local? I mean, I gather they they need to be local, but do you think? I mean, all of Australia has a national alcohol policy. There is a national alcohol strategy. Sure. Do you think that that needs to happen at the federal level? I mean, that was one of the problems. Is stronger futures is a federal measure and not right for the NT. Do you think that that we need a national alcohol policy or do you think that it needs to be very local or a bit of both? What What's your view? No, I think it certainly needs local buy-in, right? Like have a look at the – again, if I, I go somewhere else and talk about the challenges we've got here, um, they're not the same challenges as Sydney. They're completely separate. So I, I don't even think – a territory, I really don't even think a territory alcohol policy right. I think it almost needs to have sublets in there for Central Australia, Catherine, Darwin and other regions because I think, uh, and I'm not speaking to the top end, I think that there's still, you know, Darwin is still a fair way behind the challenges that we face. How do you mean behind? But what you're seeing now, what, what Darwin's seeing now is was mm. happening in Alice Springs five years ago. Mm. That's very the much crime, down, the right? drive-throughs, the ram raids. That was that was happening here five years ago. Yeah, yeah, and and it's quite troubling because um, you know if I can say, as someone who's only lived in Darwin, um, what what happened at the airport tavern. A month or so ago now, uh, while it shocked everybody in the NT and those in the rest of Australia who heard about it, uh, that's a very extreme example of something that's happened, you know, as a result of of all the things that are going on. But it sort of, it wasn't lost on me the fact that one very bad thing happens in Darwin and there's suddenly a crime rally with 3,000 people at Parliament House, yet this stuff's been going on for years in Alice and it's always felt like, oh, well, that's happening there, that's not here and, you know, the cries for help are almost deafening, yet there's not much happening to assist. Yeah, and and and, and don't forget, we, we did lose a life here um, a few years ago where a disability worker was driving home and got hit by stolen vehicle and, and he lost his life and mm. you know that was sort of the time where we went oh well that's enough now this will change yeah and, and it didn't and um you know my heart breaks with that in that instance in darwin i mean it's just disgusting mm. really it's for, for, for what you know for what yeah yeah and this is when we talk about 
there needs to be a dramatic shift for, or this is going to be normal, right? This is like New York in 1990. Mm. So what's the suite of changes? You're you're going to be the, who was it, Giuliani or Bloomberg who fixed up New York? Giuliani, um, and he was the, he was the mayor at the time of broken windows. So there, is some, there is some mixed, oh, I will premise that, there is some mixed studies about broken window theory, but um, certainly better than than worse for the positives. So mm. tell so give us give us the the, the playbook. What's going to happen? It's going to make it. It's going to be good. It's going to. It's going to. This is a positive. This is a good news story. Okay. Well, I mean, there's all this short term, medium term, long term solutions, right? I think the medium and long term stuff that's in the pipeline is good. Like that's okay. You know, reinvestment, reform, all of that sort of stuff. But in the short term. I've been saying this for a long time. We need more police on the ground to challenge, to face the challenges that we've got. There's absolutely no doubt we do not have enough police. I don't care what algorithm they come up with. If it's police to people or what it is, it's wrong. It doesn't work. We need to flood. Um, we need to flood our town with police so people feel safe. That's a very unpopular opinion, but I'm sticking to it. In November, we had a operate, police operation called Operation Dreamer. They absolutely flooded our CBD. There was an instant perception of safety. You can't yeah. buy them, right? That has to be number one. People do not feel safe in their own home in Alice Springs in 2023. That is the reality. And so we you need to buy back perception can, and can, you can, can do it really quickly. What how 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 does what does that what does that mean they don't feel safe in their own home? You you go to bed at night, you think someone's gonna end up, someone's gonna break into my house. You actually Correct. think that. Okay. Oh. Okay. Sorry. Go on. And if you don't know someone who's woken up with um, an intruder in the house, if it's not you, you know someone who, who it's been, right? Mm-hmm. And whilst some people are there to steal cars, some people are there to not steal cars, right? Okay. So, so you need police. Of, yeah, we need we need police, um, and we need to look after the kids that are tied up. So if, if if these kids, and this is the really sad reality of it, some of these children are actually on the street because it's safer for them to be on the street than at home, right? And, again, we're in Australia. I'll just remind our listeners, this is the heart of the country. This is still happening. So there needs to actually say to the child, it's okay that you don't feel safe. Well, it's not okay, but if you're don't want to be at home, you can come here and there's a warm bed and there's a feed and this is normal. Like this is what love looks like and this is what a healthy family looks like. Where? Where are they going to get that? Well, that's what we need. We don't have one. We don't have that facility here. We don't have somewhere where there is a drop-off centre where kids can go and feel safe. And that there will be some things that are wrong with that that won't work, but there's also got to be a piece where there's got to be a whole lot better than worse in that scenario, right? Mm. Um, again, we've got to liaise with organisations about if that model with somewhere safe to go, police can drop off a child rather than keeping our police force off the road for four hours looking for a, a sober family member. I mean, that's also happening. Um, yeah. And, I mean, that's short and medium term. And also about if, if you know, little Bob or... Or you know, he he or she goes to juvenile detention. Why are we putting 
little Bob when he's out of juvenile detention in the exact same environment mm. that got him there in the first place? Why are we wrapping it around him or her and his parents and his grandparents and going out on country if they are Indigenous and wrapping the services around them to say this is what, you know, things should look like and this is what education looks like. It's, it is a very fair, it's a, you know, a very fine balance, but I think that if we're not going to do some things, if we're not going to be brave enough to try things, then we, we can't expect things to change. And I do fully understand that, you know, there'll be things in those models that won't be perfect if they're put forward and, you know, they'll need some tweaking, but I'd rather tweak something than it's there than, you know, tweaking what's not there at the moment's not doing us real well. How many beds do you need? Like if this, if, if the feds or the NT government or agencies all got together and said, all right, yep, you've got the idea, let's do it, how many beds get you started? Oh, I think in a very short, I reckon if you got 20 of, you know, there's a big clump of kids out on the street, but I think if you took the 20 ringleaders as a start and started going from there, it would be a good start. I reckon between 20 and 70 different times for fluctuations throughout the year. You know how you said it's a, diff- a difficult conversation to have, and, and obviously it is because, as you said before, when you look at the, the lapsing of the uh, federal government's legislation, there was this automatic call from certain parts of the community to say, well, no, we can't keep going with that because it's racist. Do you, do you think part of the difficulty of this conversation is because it's constantly hanging over everyone's heads in relation to the stolen generation and that nobody wants to enter into the conversation because that's the first thing that gets thrown back at you. And you just said it before, these kids are safer out of their homes than in their homes. So wouldn't it be treated differently to what that was? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if it was happening in Sydney or Perth, and there were 70 blonde-eyed, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, 10-year-old girls cruising the streets, would, wouldn't organisations drive past them? No, mm-hmm. they wouldn't. Yeah. So, so you need money and you need people. Who's going to staff this? Who's going to, who's going to give that? You said, oh, they, want it, they need to feel, feel what a loving home is like. You know, a shelter's not going to provide that, is it? Or is it? And, 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 you know, how much does each bed cost? How much money do you need? And, and is it money that's at the, at, at the heart of it or is it something else? Well, I think, you know, we've probably nearly got enough resources here. Okay. Right? Do you know why? We've got over 30 service providers who are on the government pocket that don't have to provide any KPIs um, and are not audited. Imagine, imagine if we gave billions of dollars every year to another industry, mining, whatever it may be, right? Like what's an unpopular one this week, right? And we said, here you go. And they said, yeah, we're doing our job. But clearly they're not. Someone's failing along the line. People say that it's government's fault. Well, it can't all be the government's fault when government are paying these organisations to deliver a service and they're not. I mean, that's the break. That's the failure of government. But Territory Families or Northern Territory Government 
are the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. What about all these services on top of the cliff? What are they actually doing? Are they getting paid? Are they doing what they're getting paid for? Why aren't they? That's the multi-million dollar question, Professor. <laughs> Thank you. We might need you to do a PhD on that yeah. one. So, Matt. Somebody must be. Earlier this year, um, we saw a, a nice dog and pony show that turned up in Alice Springs. And uh, we, in the lead up to that, we heard the Territory Government swear black and blue that they wouldn't be reintroducing the grog bans because that was racist. And then Albo and uh, NT Government turned up and through uh, what I can only presume is some negotiations that happened not in front of the cameras, Suddenly, the NT government were handed a, uh, a check for $250 million. Uh, the grog bans were reintroduced. And as far as I can tell, apart from Mondays and Tuesdays and drive-by Sundays, not much has changed. In fact, from what you're telling me, and Darren Clark's told me the same, the, the crime side of things has got worse. So where is that money meant to be getting spent? And and as you exactly what you said, these organisations that I refer to as NGOs, they, they may well be another classification as well, but certainly there are plenty of NGOs that fall into that. Where is that money going and why is somebody not asking for outcomes in return for the money? Yeah, so that $250 million sits with the controller. So that's, you know, that... I would suspect the majority, or if not all of that money, will be spent in remote communities. Um, and you probably won't get any argument from me here about that if it's spent in the right areas. Mm. I think there's a, six, six pillars, I think, that they're looking to address there, and I think that's okay. Uh, and I think what you'll find is each community will be different about what they want their money to be spent on, but overarching it will be the same. Um, we got 48.8 separate bucket to that as well. and. Um, yeah, that was for more police. It hasn't happened yet, but that is for more police, a continuation of services, domestic violence shelters, those sort of things. So, allocated yeah. on a per capita basis. How is it? How is it allocated? Uh, no, it was certainly not per capita. It was just a commitment at the time that we got um, from the prime minister, effectively. Yep. Sorry. But, but what that two hundred and fifty looks like, I can't answer that question. Um, but. Uh, look, I hope some of it goes to jobs for a start on a remote community, uh, infrastructure, and just, you know, a, again, it's like that amenity and livability piece. We're expecting people to live on a remote community and never come to Alice Springs. Well, they can't access Centrelink or, mm. you know, what's there to do on the weekends? Um, yeah. There's no jobs out there. What future are we creating for them? Well, now's the perfect time to change that. Matt, the other thing too is that, um, Without putting too fine a point on it, that the Prime Minister was there in January, right? Correct. So we're coming up to the fifth month. So wouldn't we be starting to see something from that money? Anything? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I hope things start rolling out shortly. I really do because, you know, you don't want it to get too late too late in the piece where it's too late to invest, right? Yeah. 
Are you privy to uh, what the NT government is doing or planning to do, or is council separate to that? Uh, no, council, uh, I'm hoping that we'll be consulted pretty soon around it, um, but I'm certainly not going to get in the way of the controller consulting with the remote communities. Um, but look, we'll certainly put our two cents in when asked because uh, I, I really do think that it could be a massive game changer for the region and it's, so it should be because it is about time that we're seeing some big money um, and resources invested here to try to address some of those challenges. Mm. We had uh, Scott McConnell on, oh, I think about a month ago now. Uh, we had, we've had him on previously, but um, he's obviously no longer in, in NT Parliament. But we, we had him on and we had Warren Mundine on as well. And it was interesting talking to both of them about, look, not how do you fix it because that's too simple a question and there's not one single answer as to how you do that. But it was it was sort of put to us really well and explained really well in that over a long period of time, the communities themselves have effectively been underfunded and left to go to rack and ruin. And that's what's created this urban sprawl to the bigger centres. And Alice Springs isn't their home. It's not actually where they want to be, but they're displaced to Alice Springs and other centres because of the lack of services, the lack of infrastructure, the housing that's not fit for purpose, and the, the lack of money that's being spent in their homelands. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's not much I can add there. It's absolutely right. And, I mean, I don't know if anyone's touched on the community councils when we had those pre-2008, I think. Uh, but a lot of people will say that that was some, – you know, some people say that that was really good for have super shies now. Some people said, well, I would go to work and do – you know, as part of CDP and that sort of stuff and worked for the community council. But now, like, that's been taken away and, you know, it's not it's not better off. So, um, yeah, it's just one of those one of those things, but I certainly in, in, endorse and agree with those comments. Mm. Are these, um, I don't know what they're called, so apologies for my um, ignorance here, but... The, the groups of uh, Indigenous people that we now see in the wonderfully coloured shirts um, that, that seem, they, they seem to be a group of, uh, I guess, builders. It is. Is that what you're talking, the traditional line of patrols? Yeah. How are they working out? Yeah, I, I absolutely 100% support that program. I think it's fantastic. Mm. Um, that that Luritipa have got funding from the federal government to run that program. I take my hat off to the organisation. Um, you know, it's probably a little bit out of their scope of work, but they've taken it in their stride. Um, I've got a very good relationship with Graham Smith, uh, the CEO there, um, who's who's doing some good things, and it's it really is fantastic to see, right? So I think they've got 23 a part of their team now, 23 traditional owners. Uh, going out, they've basically said we've also had enough. Enough is enough for them. And they want to see change where they've got cultural authority to go and speak to kids and families and, and do that sort of stuff. And um, I think that that's a really, you know, sensible direction to be taking. Um, mm. 
and I think that that could turn into anything. And, you know, at the moment, absolutely fully support what they're trying to do. And I just think, again, it's about that, spoke about police, more police, people feel safer, but it's actually about that passive surveillance as well, as if, you know, you can see people out there, then, you know, they become part of your community and so those small little things that we can we can build or people will start supporting it, I reckon. Mm. Well, Warren Mundine was on the Dubbo Council and uh, he described uh, what, what I can only describe as similar type scenario in Dubbo when he was there uh, that, that Alice Springs is now suffering from, probably on a bigger scale than Alice, but exactly what he what what he described to us was what you just mentioned the um, traditional owners uh, banding together um, talking to these kids talking to their families uh, what he also described which I thought was really interesting was you know not that situation where you go barreling into mum and dad and talking down to them and yelling and screaming about what are they letting their kids do, uh, you know, running loose on the streets. It was more of a consultative uh, whole family approach and it, it could have as likely included grandparents, aunts, uncles um, and other siblings and he really talked about the success of that program. So I, I hope it works similarly for you guys. Yeah, I hope so. And I think it's also about a collaboration, right? So when there are things going on in a remote community, sorry, business ceremony, those sort of things, what you'll see is an influx of people come in to Alice Springs. And I think that we need to get to the point where, you know, Luritipa organisations are collaborating with those communities and those patrollers from that community need to come in here as well so we can understand where the kids are coming from. So if we know there's a community, you know, around Alice Springs, it's got some challenges going on, they will come to Alice Springs and they're well within their rights. Mm. But if, if we know a large group co- are coming, then so should the patrollers as well. Yeah. And can I just add to that, um, I, I'm quite an avid AFL follower and watcher. Um, and I was really disappointed to see during the week that, the AFL are essentially trying to strong arm uh, the CAFL into running this community football when the reason for not running it is absolutely legitimate and should be respected. And and for them to hold the um, CAFL to ransom, uh, I just honestly, I was disgusted by it. Yeah, I mean, they're holding the town council to ransom more than the CAFL, but yes, I completely agree I think it will be resolved. I, I'm confident that there will be a game in July um, mm. and I think that that will be done without community football. And, again, you know, we've got – it's a to some it's an unpopular decision. We've said no to community football this year. Um, don't need to talk, dwell on the social problems, but it it's just mm. about giving the town a breath. But it's also bigger than that, right? So one of them is – it shouldn't actually be that big of a deal to say no to a community football comp because they can play on their community, right? Well, some communities can't because of lack of investment and so there's no infrastructure. Some communities certainly can. 
Mm. Um, you know, these grounds don't have running water. They don't have change rooms. So some grounds can't be played at. So there is some logistical things there. But it's not a new topic. Played AFL footy when, since I was a little kid, and this has been spoken about for a very long time, that, you know, we've always kicked the, kicked the can down the road. Mm. Um, I should say kick the ball down the road, and I could use a pun, but <laughs> um, we've never got to this point. We've been trying to meet with the AFL and T for a long time. Um, we met with them 18 months ago to say, look, this is a real possibility. And, and nothing really changed until we made that decision. Um, then AFL and T called a summit to to address it, but um, I'd be surprised if the AFL overarched a local government because that's not a particularly great look. Yeah, um, and I think it will be resolved. But again, I don't know if it's the AFL or the AFL and T saying those sort of things. So you know, we'll just we'll wait and see. Um, but you know what, if we can. It again starts a conversation about investment and infrastructure in our communities, right? Mm. About creating opportunities for jobs, creating, you know, training some umpires or boundary umpires or scorers or water boys, whatever that may be. So if you look at the map of Alice Springs, you've got Yundamu, 330 Ks up the road. There's a turnoff there for Yulamu or Mount Allen, yeah? They drive past each other 600 kilometres round trip to play against each other in Alice Springs <laughs> on a Sunday yeah. and then we expect them to drive home and it's not just the players that come into town, it's the mum and the dad and the children and that's great. But then we expect the child to be at school bright and early on a Monday morning. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. That's – and it's not once every, you know, once a month. It's every week, right? So yeah. it's, um, it's pretty ridiculous. And I think, you know, we've withdrawn support for 2023. We'll continue to have conversations around what next year looks like. But, um, yeah, I, I hope that this is, you know, uh, an unpopular decision to some will go full circle and be mm. welcome for many reasons. Yeah, well, uh, you know, it took me about 30 seconds to read through the facts and the ins and outs, and I was like, oh, it makes total sense. Um, and it would be astonishing if somebody in Melbourne decided, oh, hang on, no, well, we're going to penalise them because we think whatever they think. Yeah, well, they were very, AFL and T were very critical of the Alice Springstown Council at the start for taking football away from women and children, right? Mm. Well, there's no women's competition, and they disbanded the under-18s competition last year, so... Uh, if yeah. they want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and take the AFL game with Alice Springs, I just think that they need to go back about two press statements ago and just see what they were saying about the Alice Springs Town Council. Yeah, exactly. Um, Matt, I'm going to give you a crystal ball and say if if you were – if someone said, all right, well, Matt's the mayor of Alice Springs. He's in the heart of all this. He, he's got his finger on the pulse. What, what would be the top three things that you would introduce or, or policies that you would think would be uh, the best to, to get things headed in the right direction? Oh, well, I think the, you know, the immediate one is some more, more police or more people on the ground here. That's, I've been absolutely banging on that for a little while um, and I'm not going to dwell away from that 
The only reason I'll dwell away from that is if the problem disappears. Mm. Um, you know, the second one's probably around um, that facility I spoke of, of the safe houses for kids and, um, you know, have a wraparound service for 24 hours where they can get a hot meal, make sure that they're engaged in school, they're not falling through the cracks of the system. Um, and there was a third one, wasn't there? Oh, that's a... You can have up to three. Well, they're the two immediate ones. And then the yep. third one is, um, you know, wrapping the the wool around these kids when they come out of jail or juvenile detention to make sure that we're not putting them back in the same environment. Mm. Now, I'll give you a very, very, very bad analogy, but I'm going to tell it to you. Previous smoker, right? Um could go a week without smoking, no worries. Go to the pub and have a beer with my friends. I'd have a smoke again. Yeah. So it's when you get put into the same environment that something triggers you and you do that. And, you know, maybe for some kids it's get they're put in the wrong environment and they're committing crimes. And so how do we change that? And I think if we can wrap it around, it's not just the kid or the child that's benefiting or the youth, it's the whole family and that's the really important part. You know what, none of those things are huge infrastructure pieces, right? They could, mm-hmm. it's five months in, it, this could be implemented by next summer easily. There's enough infrastructure in Alice Springs that we could do all of those three things pretty quickly. The The question I have is, is I, I think a lot about the people. You know, there's the money and there's the people. And what you've said about the 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 organizations that aren't providing the service, and how can we how can we make sure that the people are actually in there providing the love and the care, and they're really there? How do you, how do you do that? Well, there's enough people in the world that want to make a difference, right? I think if we provided something that said this is what you can be doing and be a part of change, I I think that there's enough people that would want to help change. And I think you'll find and, – and some things might be – it might be that safe house or, you know, the safe place for a child. But it might also be teaching these youth some skills, right? It might be teaching them how to pour a coffee. It might be teaching them – how to change a sprinkler at council. It might be teaching them how to mow the lawns or plant a tree. There's a lot of that stuff that we don't do right now. And because I think some levels of government or some people in Brunswick or St Kilda think that it's child labour and we shouldn't be doing community service. It's not about community service. It's about upskilling and learning life, life skills, right? So how do you how do you get good at kicking the footy? Well, you get good at kicking the footy by kicking the footy. They're the sort of things that we need to be doing, and there are people out there already in Alice Springs that would thrive in that opportunity. Mm, that's really interesting. Uh, there was a program for barbers, wasn't there, along these lines? Teaching the young ones to become barbers and hairdressers? Yeah, I think there's a couple of programs out there. I'm not particularly sure if there's one currently in Alice Springs, but, yeah, I think that that, um, 
yeah, that there is maybe one for hairdressing up up your way. Mm. And Matt, I um, was reading something the other day just in relation to um, education because education is so often talked about as being a really necessary part of trying to fix a lot of these issues. And one thing that I never probably appreciated, and clearly I know that um, people in communities are often speaking multiple languages, but what I probably didn't fully appreciate is that there's a lot of young ones still in the Territory whose first language is not English. And learning for them is difficult when it's taught pretty much only in English. Is is there any attention being given to that? Because I think that's massive. Yeah, I think some remote schools actually learn their language on community. Uh, Yipperinia in Alice Springs, Yipperinia School learns uh, in language. But I was having this conversation with someone the other day and it was quite funny. I said, I would have loved to have learned Aranda as a child at school, mm. right? Like it make it just massive twenty percent of our population is Aboriginal. Not all speak the one language, yes, but um I think it's why aren't we learning it? Why are we learning in primary school Indonesian and Japanese and not learning the indigenous language to this country? I appreciate there is a lot and I understand there is some complexities about it. But, again, we're never going to learn it if we just keep saying everything's too hard. Yeah. But have a look at how difficult it is to get interpreters as well. I mean, mm-hmm. I th- we certainly should be learning it in schools. One, I think, for uh, the white kids. And, but the, go back to your point of, yes, making it easier for children to learn should be paramount, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I think that... Um, it's probably more difficult than clicking a button because we've never done it. We don't have teachers who are fluent in both languages as you yeah. do with other teachers, but we're never going to get there if we don't change something soon enough, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and um, do you support, not support, have any reservations about this latest call to uh, potentially set up boarding schools in the Alice area? So... Uh, this brings back bad memories for me. Earlier this year, I reckon, uh, or late last year, we've got a a school that is a boarding school, Gujarara, down the road, heavily underutilised. And I talk about, you know, undervalued resources that we don't utilise. I don't know mm. if we necessarily need to build more of them, um, but utilise the infrastructure that we have already. It's a multi-purpose facility. Uh, Yurara come out pretty stiff and said we're absolutely not doing that. Um, and that's well within their right to say that. But I really think we need to have a conversation as a community about saying, well, I think the majority of your beds are not being utilised. We're utilising them for children's safety, even if they do have to go to school off-site. One thing that really interests me is actually boarding schools on communities. So whether, you know, there's a a remote community out there that might have a pretty poor attendance rate or it might have a good attendance rate. It's just saying, actually, 
we might build a school here for these kids to stay here Monday, Friday, so we can engage them all week. They might be able to go, uh, you know, home if they need to, X, Y, Z, but we know they're going to get a good night's sleep. We know they're going to get a, you know, full belly. Mm. Um, and they're going to be here tomorrow and, and they can go home on the weekend. I just, throughout these people say, well, why it's a community of X number hundred of people it doesn't need one of those. But clearly the, the Western model of how we're doing things right now is not working. Um, and I'm not saying that that's a model that will work in every community, but let's start thinking outside the box about things, right? And guess what? If it doesn't work, we've still got more housing on the community because I know we don't have enough of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And I think, uh, you know, one of the arguments that you always get with regards to um, kids from communities going to boarding schools in cities is always that sense of, uh, you know, they feel displaced when they're not on community. So it's certainly not an idea I've heard of before, but as you said, probably a great idea to at least try and and see the success rate of it. Yeah, and I think that there's enough studies out there that show you or tell you that learning on country is is very beneficial to the child. Mm. Um. And again, you're creating an environment where the child wants to be is, is also vitally important. So, you know, we run enough pilots about everything else. We should run a pilot about this, um, about a community. If the community wants it, of course, then I certainly think that that's what we can we can look at. We know there's overcrowding. We know that there's um, a number of range of issues, but it could just, yeah. it, you know, it's only, my theory is it's only got to really help one child and it's, it's, paid for itself, hasn't it? Yeah. Otherwise, the longer we leave it, the longer we fail these kids, well, then it's a failure of us, effectively, as a a society. Mm. Yep. Liz, I know you like your um, final questions, so uh, hit us between the eyes. What are you doing this weekend, Matt? Um, Probably golf. I'm going... (laughs) My... my, uh, my wife, I've, my 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 son, he's three. Um, he's been crook for a very long time, so he's finally got into a specialist oh. appointment. So, um, my wife and him are away this week. So, it's my daughter and I hanging out this week. So, I might just be catching up with him and mm. when he's back on the weekend, which might oh, be nice. all the best for him. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he'll be fine. He's just he's a precious little soul. He's a, he's a crazy little soul. The apple didn't fall far, but, um, yeah, hopefully he can go down to the specialist and get sorted out. But I reckon I'll probably be able to fit in around the golf. Yeah, you probably should. You owe it to yourself. Plus, you know, it's just over the back fence, so you don't have to go far. really is. Matt, really appreciate your time and giving us some great insights. Um, I, I will certainly leave an open invitation for you uh, to if you ever need or or want to contact us in the future, uh, please do so. And I'm sure we'll come back to you uh, to get an update as to how things are travelling at some point in the future as well. No worries. Thank you very much. Um, been a pleasure. And look, obviously I've said the more people talking about what we're, you know, you can't fix a problem that you don't know is not there. Uh, so I, I do thank you guys for again highlighting the challenges we're facing and I'm, I'm sure we'll be in touch. Thanks, Thanks, Matt. Matt. Thank you. 
That was Matt Patterson, the Mayor of Alice Springs on the Territory Story podcast. We'll catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to the Territory Story podcast with Peter and the Professor. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. For more episodes, go to all your favorite podcasting platforms or head to territorystory.com.